or die. That's been my time. This is DJ D. Alfred. And up now is Gray Matters. Jim Dwyer. Yeah, the first official day, of course, is Saturday, the 21st, but uh, the hottest day uh, we've had yet this year so far. But it's been great sleeping weather, so that's uh, a plus. What's going on? Mic problems, I guess. So we're readjusting on the fly. I have a sneaky suspicion that there might have been a, uh, a band down here uh, sometime recently because we've got uh, um, all kinds of wires hanging around and mics in different spots and we're, as usual, operating on the fly a little bit. I think we'll, uh, we'll manage and get through it. Um, fascinating week, you know, we, we had the end of the uh, hockey and basketball playoffs and continuing Bergdahl controversies. He's finally back in the United States, though obviously uh, sequestered, so to speak. Uh, Eric Cantor and the earthquake uh, in uh, surrounding Richmond, Virginia. Interesting uh, development there. I don't think the Tea Party had much to do with it, by the way, because they didn't put any money into it and they didn't put any celebrities into it. That's probably what. Uh, well, Sarah Palin, of course. She uh, I- intervenes in many of these primaries, and it seems like virtually every. Uh, yeah, well, every endorsement she get she gives seems to be. Uh, kind of a poison apple they don't do too well and of course we've got rumblings going on in Iraq and the usual brain damage awards have to be distributed to the revisionism that's going on that quote the invasion of Iraq by the United States has nothing to do with the instability in the Middle East incredible Yeah. And of course, Tony Blair will give him a brain damage award. He, uh, well, he gave an, a specific interview. He's the continuing poodle of uh, George Bush. George Bush, of course, wouldn't dare show his face under these circumstances. But uh, I guess we can certainly say rummy. You big dummy. Um, yeah, and, and this idea that we're going to intervene in Iraq in any uh, tangible way is ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm hearing calls for airstrikes. Mosul is a city of two million people. Uh, our airstrike's going to work in Mosul. 
Uh, it's time for America and the rational thinking people of the world to acknowledge that Iraq is not a nation state worth saving. That it's time, and this was even discussed uh, amidst the surge back in 2007, that it's really time to consider a realistic partition of Iraq. a Kurdistan mm -hmm. in the northern part of modern-day Iraq. Of course, uh, Winston Churchill famously helped sketch out the uh, contemporary borders of the Middle East on the back of an envelope or a napkin or whatever it was uh, in uh, lunch with his French counterpart at one point. But uh, The Sykes-Picot Treaty, yes. Sykes-Picot Treaty, the secret agreement, right, to carve up the... Uh, Ottoman part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire after World War One, and so here, as we, you know, later this year, we'll acknowledge the centenary of World War One. We're still dealing with its problems. Yes. Partition, uh, British colonialism, uh, skirmishing over uh, resources, uh, still fighting over oil at this point. Um, the Kurds have the the wealth. I mean, that's where the mineral wealth is. Uh, the Sunni and Shia thing. Uh, is of course centuries old uh, the nature of that uh, conflict but uh, as many critics of the uh, Bush war in Iraq uh, pointed out uh, from the beginning the only people who are going to win this war are the major oil corporations and Iran yeah and it's interesting that there's even open actual discussions of negotiating with Iran bilaterally to determine what to do in Iraq uh, to save uh, the situation and of course uh, this of course was a question that Brent Scowcroft openly asked in a Wall Street Journal editorial well before the congressional vote of authorization uh, one that I'm sure Eric Cantor voted for yeah. um, so I you know it's it's just one of these things where the usual suspects come out of the come out of their uh, out of the woodwork and are calling for America to do something and I say, no, the best policy at the moment is to do nothing other than have yeah, discussions. Well, and, and the irony of the fact that we've been arming uh, some of these elements in Syria, mm -hmm. this is part of the blowback once again. Uh, this is qu it's quite clear to me that the Syrian uh, civil war is uh, going to continue for many years. So this is another region in turmoil that uh, the United States has uh, sort of conflicting goals at, uh, th that are very manifest. And I don't understand why we continue to delude ourselves that the modern state of Iraq is worth saving as the modern state of Iraq. I think that it's openly time to discuss uh, partitioning Iraq into three areas and uh, the idea that these leaders are going to get along is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. These are uh, Muslim inter, intra and, and Shiite uh, Sunni conflicts. There are conflicts within the Sunnis. Of course, Saddam Hussein manipulated these you know, sub-ethnic conflicts within Iraq to suit his own uh, purposes and you know, secure his own grip on power. All the time. Yeah, and there's an Nixon and Kissinger famously, you know, sort of wrote the Kurds off at one point. And said, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Beat up on them. Uh, part of the tilt to Pakistan, but uh, 
And of course, you know, the United States is going to go easy on the Kurdish question because they, while they don't mind seeing an autonomous Kurdish region in Iraq, they certainly don't want to be openly talking about a Kurdish state. Not at all. Tribal. And of course, this problem is, is also uh, quite manifest, to use that word again, manifest destiny. Um, it quite uh, manifest in uh, the situation in Afghanistan with the, uh, the Pashtun people being divided by mm, mm, a British imperialist, the Durand Line, an artificial border, which is kind of at the heart of the problems with the... Uh, uh, the whole situation in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and uh, obviously that's been in the news recently because of this uh, Bo Bergdahl situation. Um, yeah, what's the, what's that uh, right wing uh, TV show Duck Duck Dynasty? Right. Yeah, ZZ. Duck Dynasty or ZZ Top. Who knows? So I've been talking to nobody. I'll give a quick brain damage award to historian Robert Kagan, who wrote a big cover article for the New Republic called Superpowers Don't Get to Retire, in which he argues for this more muscular presence. You know, we must maintain a military presence throughout Southwest Asia. Dude, we can't afford that. We haven't been able to afford it in decades, and uh, we dig the hole deeper for the future of our own country by staying in these regions that... We're not doing any good in anyway. Way of thinking, I'm sure Kagan is on it, but I noticed even I didn't bring this in. But Tom Friedman said many tough questions have to be answered before we intervene, and I'm like, boy, why do we want to intervene again? Uh, it's interesting because just a couple of weeks ago, of course, Obama gave a speech. Uh, for graduating cadets at West Point, mm-hmm. in which he discussed quite openly uh, America's role, not one of isolationism, by the way, not one of retreat, which is a, a, a phrase that's been, being used by uh, his critics on the right, one of engagement, but not necessarily military intervention. And when you look at this and in, in, in contrast it and, and superimpose it on the situation with the vet's hospital. Duh. Right. We don't have enough uh, doctors uh, to take care of the vets we currently have that have uh, suffered uh, egregiously uh, from these interventions in Afghanistan and Iraq. And yet we have people who... More high-profile suicides of veterans last week, too, so... The same people calling for more intervention uh, in the Middle East uh, are the same people that were calling for Shinseki to resign a couple of weeks yeah. ago. 
there's a kind of a disconnect here, and uh, maybe one of the most disconnected people uh, in Washington is Eric Cantor. Huh. Uh, fascinating uh, situation with this uh, earthquake, as they're calling it. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Eric Cantor is now being, once again, revisionism, being portrayed by right-wing pundits as somebody who wasn't conservative enough. And I'm just like, well, this is the guy that led the government shutdown. He did exactly what the Tea Party wanted him to do. Now, he made a little comment on Fox News about the immigration situation that may have played a big role in why he lost. Huh. But it's fascinating that demagoguery on immigration, which uh, was a factor in costing him the election, possibly, um, came back to haunt him. His opponent, Brat. What a name. Yeah. Senator Bratt. Yeah. Right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and obviously there's an interesting component of gerrymandering that was involved with this. Uh, I also would like to comment about something that the media didn't talk about, which is the Jewish factor uh, in rural Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric Cantor, of course, is the only Jewish Republican in Congress. Interesting in and of itself. Yeah. And um, the Chamber of Commerce uh, component of Eric Cantor, I mean, this was a rising star in the Republican mm -hmm. Party. He was uh, the leader of the so-called Young Guns. Hmm. Him and the buff Paul Ryan. I wonder what the Young Guns really do on the weekends. And I don't mean to uh, throw out a, a nasty uh, sort of... Uh, critique uh, that a right-wing commentator made about Hillary Clinton. Is she standing behind a walker? That was uh, Drudge who mm. said that. Apparently there's a picture on some magazine of Hillary Clinton because she just released a book. She's on a book tour, yada, 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 big deal. Um, and Matt Drudge speculated that... Uh, she was uh, holding up a walker. Okay. Uh, well, of course, our greatest president was in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> and Ronald Reagan was completely mentally infirm yeah, for much of his first term and obviously the entire second term. So uh, yeah, if you bobble, want to talk infirmities. The, the bobblehead. <laughs> yeah, his head used to shake on TV. Like, uh, well, there you go. Uh, is Eric Cantor transgender? I don't know. He looks a little androgynous. <laughs> there might be a factor there. Uh, I'm just speculating. There was only one. Only one, Mike. Come around this way. Oh, that, we are going on the same mic. I guess we're going to share a mic. Because that's why one of you keeps getting louder, one of you keeps getting quieter. No. Touch the mic, the other one. I finally figured it out. Hello. Okay, well, I guess we're having all kinds of uh, technical difficulties, as they say in, uh, in well, ra radio land. This is a good lesson in people not putting things back where they found them yeah. when they got out the toys. So yeah, that's... whoever used this production room last, if you're listening right now, thanks a lot. Yeah, there seem to be a lot of wires, and apparently it's, it's certainly not our engineer's fault. Andrew has uh, done... Heroically uh, soldiering through. Yeah, yeoman work over the years, and he's uh, one of the great guys that works down here at WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. 
So uh, worry not. Uh, the future of WCBN is in good hands with the Reverend Andrew, both doing freeform radio and engineering. Uh, here on Gray Matters, now of more interest to me, of course, was the smallness of the vote. I also think there's ample evidence that there were Democratic crossovers. Hmm. The happiest guys in the room besides uh, Mr. Bratt. Don't call him Mr. Jerk. <laughs> uh, it has to be uh, John Boehner. Uh, Eric Cantor, yeah. of course, was making many rumblings about throwing John Boehner to the sharks uh, for reasons that are unclear. But Cantor uh, was behind the government shutdown. And yet conservatives are claiming not conservative enough. So there is some poetic justice in him being thrown to the sharks. Uh, he, of course, has resigned his position uh, eminently to be replaced, it seems, by, uh, by Kevin McCarthy, a Southern Californian Republican who may not be conservative enough for the Tea Party. But let's not get confused here about this the rise of the Tea Party. There is no rise of the Tea Party in this particular election. I think there were a lot of unusual circumstances that led to Cantor's defeat. And I noticed that in the primary, there were only 55,000 votes cast, approximately here. Eric Cantor received 222,345 votes in the general election in 2012. And almost 400,000 votes were cast in this particular congressional district. Interestingly, the Democrat got 157,000. So I would say that this uh, race uh, may be more competitive in the fall than the Tea Party thinks. I suspect that there uh, probably were a good number of uh, Jewish voters that voted for Cantor because of his religion that will now go back to the Democratic Party. And there may be some Chamber of Commerce uh, Republicans frightened about the free market ideas of economist Brat. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to live that down, but uh, this is going to be a very interesting race to pay attention to. And, of course, they added Republicans to Eric Cantor's district uh, in the 2012 uh, gerrymandering in Virginia. How fascinating that this came back to haunt Mr. Cantor, a kind of a nasty drone you know, he always had a kind of a drone voice on TV and radio. He just, ugh. I have no sympathy for his situation. So good riddance to Eric Cantor. He now can join a lobbying firm in right, Washington. Yeah, I was going to say, no doubt he'll have a job lined up in uh, due course with one lobbyist group or another. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the what you're calling the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, the business uh, wing of the party, has got to be a little nervous about this because I think the last president, presidential election showed that uh, while the Tea Party doesn't think the Republicans are conservative enough, most Americans think it's plenty conservative and are not interested in that. They like government services and roads and lights and so forth. So... Uh, this really is still a continuation of the battle royale within the Republican Party itself. Yeah, and it's fascinating, of course, that Cantor spent about $5 million, his opponent about maybe $200,000. they are not even uh, giving that out as a number. 
And Brent, by the way, is uh, so surprised he hasn't really been uh, giving interviews or even talking to the media. Oh, crap, I won. Now what do I do? That's right. (laughs) Now I really have to do something. Put the amateurs in charge. The lunatics have taken over the asylum, as the saying goes. Yeehaw! Yeah, well, we've seen that happen here in the state of Michigan with our fine term limit policy and the state ledge. Yeah, and uh, this, you know, there. by the way, there is a kind of an interesting race coming up in Mississippi in a couple of weeks where one actual genuine Tea Party member uh, has challenged Thad Cochran. And this is another area where the business establishment, the Chamber of Commerce... The Rotary Club, those Babbitt is what I like. The Babbittry of Main Street of America. That's an homage to Sinclair Lewis, uh, first American novelist, by the way, to win the Nobel Prize Mm -hmm. for Literature. Uh, The the Babbittry of America is, uh, I don't know what they're thinking these days, where they're going. Mitt Romney, where are you? I say, I say, boy, bring me another mint julep. Yeah. That's a foghorn leghorn line. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's almost amusing to watch this. Uh, this is the, Mo Udall once said of the Democrats that the Democrats are a party that sits around in a firing squad in a circle. And uh, we might be witnessing some of that now. Uh, with the Republican Party, though I'm sure John Boehner is uh, secretly happy to see the demise of Eric Cantor. Um, one other interesting uh, thing, you know, the World Cup started uh, mm-hmm, this yep. week. Fascinating games. Offense seems to be up a little uh, this year for reasons that remain unexplained. And thankfully, we've had no shootouts yet. There have actually been genuine winners in regulation, which I think is good. It's a lot more entertaining. Because there is something um, sad about the shootout determining the winner of the game. But I wanted to make a little observation about the San Antonio Spurs and the fact that they won uh, this series. This, of course, wasn't a big upset. They had home court advantage in the playoffs. LeBron James, of course, being the most famous basketball player in the world, Fascinating to see how the World Cup actually reflects the San Antonio Spurs. Two French players, Tim Duncan, an All-American at Wake Forest, uh, grew up in the Bahamas. Uh, Ginobili, of course, the greatest Argentinian player to ever play in the NBA. We had an Australian. We had uh, a Brazilian. Fascinating. The San Antonio Spurs reflect in a very, very palpable way uh, why the NBA has improved as a product in the last uh, decade because of the internationalization of the game. And while uh, there's no question that football, quote-unquote, soccer as we like to call it here in the United States, is clearly the number one sport globally, basketball is catching up. It's played almost everywhere. Uh, in the world, uh, one one exception is I don't know that the Pygmies have got a national team yet. <laughs> well, of course, the big attraction for both of those sports is that, and the reason that they're so uh, universally uh, popular is they're cheap, 
Uh, anybody can play them. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty affordable game. Uh, just for, need a ball. Just need a ball and uh, Shoes. something something to throw it at. You know, they, and they play barefoot. Brazil, they play barefoot. Yeah. So uh, uh, I think hockey's been uh, out of all the North American sports probably the most internationally um, until re- this this recent development in basketball. I think the last couple of Olympics. You started to see, you know, wow, the Lithuanians have a strong team. Who knew Lithuania was a basketball powerhouse? Well, now some of those guys play over here. And, of course, that's where, you know, still Russians come over here to play hockey because the big money is in North America, although now there's a big uh, professional hockey league in Russia, the KHL. So um, Americans are kind of sports-obsessed, but I think there are a lot of good things that come from sports. Uh, a lot of the regions, I have a friend whose theory was that the reason there's so much strife in the Middle East is because they don't have organized sports. And, of course, that's kind of a ridiculous argument. There's there's many complicating economic uh, factors. But sports go a long way towards, uh, I think, helping cultures retain a healthy outlook on uh the real perspective on things. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, how soccer, basketball, and hockey all have a similarity in terms of the goal, passing. It's very it, team. There there are stars, yeah. but but no team can win without the help of everybody. Yeah. Your superstars, of course, got to score goals, but everybody puts in the effort, and uh, there's something really exciting about uh, a team that's really clicking. Another uh, interesting observation that I clipped a couple of months ago about uh, sports and college. Of course, uh, Barack Obama and uh, the cost of college has been a Mm -hmm. big uh, domestic uh, talking uh, debate over the last couple of weeks. New proposals from the Obama administration about uh, forgiving debt and that sort of thing. And of course, economists have gotten in on the act because of the fact that uh, college debt exceeds a trillion dollars, uh, there are arguments being made that this is damaging the economy, keeping the economy from f- fully uh, getting going. The economy, in my opinion, is trudging along, but but certainly not uh, uh, growing at high rates, but I don't think it ever will. But a very fascinating study um, shows why uh, colleges cost so much more. We know for a f- historical fact that the federal government cut way back on direct aid to, to universities back uh, under the Reagan administration. This was part of their education policy. Uh, of course, Reagan famously wanted to abolish the department altogether. Yep. <clears throat> uh, we've had lots of studies showing that a college education is still worth the investment, uh, despite its high costs. And there is ample evidence that college costs have gone up a thousand percent in some places. Well, one of the interesting observations from an, an article that was released by the AAUP, the American Association of University Professors, has this following facts that I wanted to share with you because I think they're fascinating. They write that from 2004 to 2011, Community colleges' uh, inflation-adjusted educational spending on instruction, public services, and academic support declined, while their athletic spending increased 35% per athlete. Overall spending grew 2.6% per student. 
Inflation-adjusted athletic spending also increased by 24.8% at public four-year universities in all divisions, while spending on instruction and academic support remained nearly flat, and public service and research expenditures declined. Their overall spending per student grew 1.6%. Those are alarming numbers. And it's very interesting that there's observation has been made that uh, colleges spend way too much on frills and administration and possibly sports. Though some colleges' sports programs pay for themselves, like the University of Michigan, but they are an exception. Yeah. uh, But But the priorities. Exactly. Uh, And the incredible cost. In fact, I forget the name of the school, but there's a school that sort of rearranged its entire football program. They were approached by uh, ESPN or one of the broadcasters to, we want more football on TV, more college football. If you're willing to have your games on Tuesday nights, you know, you're going to be on TV every week. And of course, the TV revenues are, you know, free money for the university. So... It's all a second thought to the big cash dollar. Uh, I you know, grew up in Jackson and went to Catholic high school, uh, and the only thing bigger than Jesus was football. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's this really weird priority where, you know, we had a priest who would, oh, there's a game tonight? You know, you're getting the 25-minute mass. You know, boo, you're out of here. A little holy water, go to the game, you're good. Uh, so, that's, I mean, that's the dark side of, of sports is the... Uh, the way in which some people can uh, put it you know, completely out of perspective. You know, it can help you keep your life in perspective. You know, you're all part of a team. You win some, you lose some. A lot of great lessons come from sport. But uh, it's like gold lost. If you focus only on the game and the money from the game, dude, what's what's the rest of your life all about? Yeah, and my final comment on this, of course, came from an academic critic who pointed out that in America there are more college students majoring in sports administration than engineering. Uh, Well, on that note, we'd like to thank Andrew for engineering once again here on Gray Matters, here on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling, coming up next on this fine station. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Good evening. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and it's time for Yazoo City Calling, our weekly broadcast, bringing you early American blues music since 1988 when Jerry Mack started the program. 
On tonight's broadcast, we'll be listening to a collection of recordings made from 1926 to 1932. If you'd like to call and make a request, 734-763-3500 is the phone number. My name is Weston Hughes. If you'd like to call and make a request, 734-763-3500. Our first recording